Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program, which today is being brought to you by DraftKings. This weekend's UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings is the official daily fantasy partner of USC, and they're giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Now, if you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is really easy to play. You just pick six fighters, standard the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. No better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code TBPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. This is episode 31 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Grizzlies remaining out west on their seven-game road trip, which has taken a turn for the worse, unfortunately, and we will recap that. And that was the week that was. A lot to talk about in PD's points, particularly the Clippers game. Uh, and then our friend of the program, as the Grizzlies go into a crucial two-game set with the Portland Trailblazers this weekend, we will visit with Jason Quick. Jason Quick has been covering the Portland Trailblazers for over two decades, first with the Portland Oregonian, also with NBC Sports Northwest, and is currently a staff writer for The Athletic, focused on the Portland Trailblazers. Very interesting conversation with Jason as we talk about the current state of the Portland Trailblazers, his thoughts that perhaps Terry Stott's tenure as the head coach of the Blazers could be coming to an end, also weighs in on the complicated legacy of LaMarcus Aldridge, one of the greatest Blazers of all time. Does his number get retired at the Moda Center? And also he has some very interesting thoughts about Damian Lillard and uh, who might be the best Blazer of all time. So that's all coming up in today's program. But first, we start as we always do with That Was the Week That Was. Grizzlies coming off of back-to-back wins at Chicago and at Milwaukee. They go west to take on the Denver Nuggets. And the Grizzlies started out really well in this ballgame, leading 35-27 after one quarter. Grizzlies would lead by as many as 13 points in this game. Grizzlies appeared to have this one pretty well in hand, despite the fact that they were without Jonas Valanciunas, who suffered a concussion in the Milwaukee game. So Xavier Tillman gets the start, but the Grizzlies could not hold on to their lead. The lead was eight going into the fourth quarter. Nuggets outscored the Grizzlies 29-21 in the fourth quarter. Game goes to overtime. Now, having said that, the Grizzlies did have a chance to win at the end of regulation. Grayson Allen had a good look at a three, which uh, you would have thought he would have put down, but Grayson did not shoot it particularly well. Three of 10 from distance did finish with 24 points for the Grizzlies. The star of the ballgame was Nikola Jokic, as you would expect. MVP candidate. I know a lot of people are talking about Steph Curry's being the MVP. Jokic has been fantastic for this basketball team. And even though they are going to miss Jamal Murray for the rest of the season, Jokic's ability to score, rebound, and assist is going to keep Denver in the chase, at least to get to the conference finals, if not all the way to the NBA finals. Jokic was sensational. 
47 points, 15 boards, 8 assists, and basically was the dominant player in both of the overtime periods for the Denver Nuggets as they go on to win it in double overtime, 139-137. to Grizzlies had a chance, as I said, to win it in regulation on a Grayson Allen 3. John Morant with the drive. At the end of the first overtime, Morant had scored all nine points in the first overtime, and he made the drive down the lane. Grizzlies would have been 3-0 and on the road trip, but he missed it, couldn't get the follow to go, and uh, the Grizzlies with a couple of crucial turnovers late, bad pass by DeAnthony Melton as he was trying to get it ahead to Grayson Allen. That was a turnover, key defensive mistake, and Jokic hits a three to essentially put this game away for the Denver Nuggets, who improved to 37-20 and 20 on the season. Grizzlies fell to 29-27. and 27. Big night for Will Barton. He had 28, 5 of 6 from beyond the arc, and uh, really solid all-around night for the former Memphis Tiger. 28 with 7 assists and 6 rebounds. Michael Porter Jr., after a slow start, came on. He finished with 21, and it was Michael Porter Jr. who, really in the second half of this game, along with Jokic, uh, kept the Nuggets in this basketball game. And oh, by the way, our old friend, Jamichael Green, another solid game from him, a dozen points with five rebounds for him. Uh, special tip of the cap to Xavier Tillman, trying to guard Jokic is tough enough, but he got some of his own 18 points and 14 rebounds for his first career double-double. DeAnthony Melton on fire from three, finished with 25 points, hit six of 10 from distance. But uh, the Grizzlies, one of the rare times they shoot better than 40% from beyond the arc and lose. Also one of the rare times they make more threes than the opponent and lose. Grizzlies went 17 of 40 from distance for 42.5%, and the Nuggets had 15 threes. Grizzlies also set a season high with 39 points off of 24 Denver turnovers. But the Grizzlies turned it over 15 times in turn for 27 points. Grizzlies were out-rebounded by 11, and that was an issue in this one. You know and you knew going in that the Denver Nuggets are one of the better rebounding teams in the NBA. You took Denver to double overtime, but given the fact that the Grizzlies led by as many as 13 at one point, it it is a little disappointing that the Grizzlies could not finish down the stretch. And uh, games in clutch situations, final five minutes, margin within five, uh, they have been an issue for the Grizzlies. They were an issue in the bubble. Uh, in March, Grizzlies actually won four clutch games, but uh, they've not gotten the results as of late. And so the Grizzlies on Monday night drop at 139-137 in double overtime to the Denver Nuggets. Well, when the Grizzlies got to Los Angeles and they saw the Clippers' injury report, they had to feel pretty good about themselves because, well, the Clippers had played the night before and had pulled out a one-point win at Portland. Paul George hitting a couple of free throws with about four seconds left to beat the Portland Trailblazers and C.J. McCollum missing a potential game winner at the Horn. You knew that the Clippers were probably going to rest some guys. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has a sore foot. He will be reevaluated in a week, so he is out. Didn't play in the Portland game, so you knew he'd be out. Uh, Paul George rested on the second of a back-to-back. Uh, Patrick Beverly has a broken hand. Serge Ibaka has now missed 20 straight games with a lower back injury. Um, and... Rajon Rondo was going to be held out because he has a sore right wrist. Oh, by the way, Reggie Jackson, starting a point guard, he's going to be rested too. Uh, You looked at this, if you were the Grizzlies and their fans, and you were excited for two reasons, because this was going to be the return game of Jaron Jackson Jr. was also going to be against a Clippers team that was going to be very, very, very shorthanded. First quarter could not have gone any better for the Grizzlies. They are up 39-24 after one quarter. But then the slippage starts to set in late in the second quarter, and the Clippers start to close the gap a little bit. 
And then in the second half, the roof falls in totally, completely, and utterly. Grizzlies outscored 64-43 to in the second half, and the Grizzlies lose it 117-105. to 105. Both teams shot exactly the same from the floor, 38 of 84. Clippers made one more three. The big difference was at the free throw line. Clippers shot 13 more free throws than the Grizzlies. 36 free throws for a Clippers team that averages fewer than 20 free throw attempts per game toward the bottom of the league. Grizzlies could not stop fouling in this basketball game for whatever reason. Their defensive intensity started to lag, and Luke Kennard had himself one of the best nights of his career. A game-high 28 points, two off his career high, tied his career high with six three-point makes. John Morant got the Grizzlies off to a great start, finished with 22. He also tied his career high with four three-point makes, but the Grizzlies, uh, only 19 assists, uh, did have 13 turnovers, so the assist-to-turnover ratio is not too bad, but... Uh, the Grizzlies, 19 assists on 38 baskets. That is well below their standards. And after the game, Taylor Jenkins said, look, our, our, our team didn't have it in the second half, and that would, be, that would be an understatement. And I don't know if it was tired legs. I don't know if it was the effect of, of being out on the West Coast or being in Los Angeles. I have no idea. But the Grizzlies were so fantastic in the first quarter, uh, took their foot off the gas, and the Los Angeles Clippers, look, Marcus Morris can play. If it's a Zubats, can play. Luke Kennard can play, and DeMarcus Cousins came in and I thought gave the Clippers a nice boost off the bench with six points and ten rebounds uh, in his 14 minutes of work. The big story, obviously, was the return of Jaron Jackson Jr., finished with 15 and 8 with four block shots. Um, Again, no Valanchunas for the Grizzlies, so Xavier Tillman gets the start. Xavier, another game with double-digit rebounds. Uh, Jaron played, I thought, really, really well, and we'll touch more on that in Petey's points in a moment. Uh, so the Clippers win at 117 to 105. They improved to 42 and 19 on the season. Seven straight home wins for the Clippers. And the Grizzlies, after a very promising start to this road trip, now two and two, having blown double digit leads in each of the last two games against two of the elite teams in the Western Conference. So now let's get to some PD's points. And PD's point number one, for all you podcasters out there, I would strongly suggest that you never podcast when you're angry. That is why I did not record this show in the immediate aftermath of the Clipper game. That part of the reason. The other part of the reason is I didn't get home until after midnight because the game was on the West Coast. Um, this was a bad loss. It, it was It was a bad loss because you did not bring the requisite energy against a team that was shorthanded and playing on the second night of a back-to-back. Grizzlies did not take advantage of the situation. They were up 18. It is not their largest blown lead of the year. They blew a 20-point lead in that same building to the Los Angeles Lakers. Again, the Grizzlies' great start could not sustain throughout. So, again, a lesson to all you podcasters. Do not, do not podcast when you are angry. You may say something you may regret, which is why... I tried to get a good night's rest before I recorded this show because if I had recorded it right after the Clipper game, I might have said some things I would have regretted because it was very, very disappointing. And I know all of us walking out of the broadcast uh, last night were really upset with with that turn of events because the Grizzlies, this was a game that you figured, look, you, you, you get this game, now you're 3-1, and one, you get one of the final three, and you can go home 4-3 and three on the road trip, and that would be a very successful road trip. So, like I said, don't podcast when angry. So, we let it settle a little bit. Uh Petey's point number two, the return of Jaron Jackson Jr. And I, I was pleasantly surprised with Jaron's return to action. The line on him, 15 points, eight rebounds, four blocks in just under 18 minutes. 
4 of 11 from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3, but did make all six of his free throws, four of his eight rebounds coming on the offensive end. I know a lot of fans were concerned about the length of the rehab for Jaron and and getting him ready to be back on the court. And fans were wondering, well, was there a setback? Was there something wrong? Was there something that wasn't up to standard and why he wasn't back earlier? We talked about this before. Jaron has discussed it. Everybody decided that rather than take the meniscus out, they were going to trim it. They were going to repair it. It would lead to a better long-term outcome for him. The Grizzlies obviously view him as a franchise cornerstone for the foreseeable future. You want to make sure that he will be healthy for the foreseeable future. If you remove the meniscus, now you open yourself up to all kinds of downstream issues, which could include arthritis. And he's a little too young for arthritis. I have arthritis. It's different. I'm 56 years old. It's okay if I have arthritis. If you're 20, 21 years old, it's not okay to have arthritis. So I get that. The other thing, too, is the Grizzlies performance staff really got him in good shape. He did not look winded, did not look fatigued. And I know that they kept his stints relatively short. The first two stints in the lineup, I think, were four and five minutes each and ended up playing 18 minutes. Jaron came back ready to play. Could he have come back sooner? Possibly physically he could have. Would he have been as effective if he had been brought back sooner? So the fact that he was out a little bit longer, I think, made him more ready to play. And you had a Jaron Jackson Jr. who, at least to my eyes, did not appear to be rusty, did not appear to be overly fatigued. He was fully ready to play. Taylor Jenkins said, we're not going to throw him in the deep end. You know, We're going to ease him back in. But I really thought what Jaron did was very, very good for a first game back. And I think that speaks volumes to the approach that the Grizzlies took. It speaks volumes to the approach that the Grizzlies performance team took that they could bring Jaron back at a point where he was not going to be like, well, we'll put him out there and see what happens. This was like, no, we're going to put him out there when we know he can perform and can perform to his standards, maybe in shorter stints, but he can still be who Jaron Jackson Jr. is. And so I tip my cap even though it took longer than any of us would have liked. I, I, I like the approach because what I saw from Jaron in the Clipper game, I thought was really, really good. Petey's point number three. Let's just get to the Clipper game as a whole. Number one, bad loss. All right, we know that. It was, it was extremely frustrating to watch this team build a big lead against the shorthanded Clipper team and then, then let it go. I, what I saw in this game, number one, was a loss of focus. Uh, got the big lead, you're up 18, you're on the road. Last year, the Grizzlies had a blowout at uh, Staples Center against the Clippers where they put 140 on the board and won by 26. It looked like they might be headed in a similar direction, and then everything stopped. A couple of things. Number one, the Grizzlies, I thought, lost focus. Number two, Teron Liu. Normally, this is a Clipper team that is very heavily in isolation plays because you've got guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Those guys not playing. Teron Liu went a little bit more with pick and roll. The Grizzlies' pick and roll coverage was not up to its standard, and as a result, uh, Clippers were able to take care of their business and get to the front of the rim and, and do what they needed to do. I thought Zubats was great, particularly on the offensive glass. He caused problems all night long. And, of course, Luke Kennard was was great from three. The other thing about this game was, and it's the second consecutive game we've seen where Tyus Jones is not playing a lot of minutes. Normally, 
Ja comes out of the game, Tyus comes in as the backup point guard. Sometimes they play side-by-side side in the backcourt where Tyus will play the lead guard and, and Ja can play off the ball. What we were starting to see in the last couple of games is DeAnthony Melton initiating some offense. We're starting to see Justice Winslow initiating some offense. And Tyus Jones has, has gotten, uh, I think, a total of, I think, 17 minutes in the last two games. And Tyus, as it has turned out, now in the month of April, has been more aggressive offensively, and now the minutes have gone down. Experimentation with the rotation, I understand. Unfortunately, the last couple games, it, it will, a small sample size, of course, but we'll have to see exactly how all this plays out. It, it, it's a different look for the Grizzlies. You know that Melton can handle the ball. You know that Winslow can handle the ball. Both of them can distribute. But both of them can also be wing scorers. And so trying to sort out the roles is going to be very important for the Grizzlies going forward, not only for those guys, but also sorting out the roles with Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, came off the bench in the Clipper game. At some point, he's going to be back in the starting lineup. And so whose minutes are going to suffer as a result? Might be Xavier Tillman's. Might be Brandon Clark's. Uh, Brandon Clark had a phenomenal rookie season, but I think – um, you know, we, we've come to expect such great things from Brandon that maybe right now it's a little like, you know, Brandon, you know, six points, four rebounds in 20 minutes at the Clippers. You would hope for a little bit more production. And there have been moments where he has been brilliant and shown improvement from last year. And then there have been other moments where he's not been as good as he was in his rookie year. Final PD's point, look, this team has to get it right, right now. Because you are going into a two-game set with the Portland Trailblazers. This is a team that you are trying to track down. Portland currently in sixth. They lose on Monday night to the Denver Nuggets. Grizzlies blowing a golden opportunity to pick up a game on Portland and then go to Portland and maybe pick up two more games against the Portland Trailblazers. Why is this important? Okay, if you are in the top six seeds, you do not have to deal with the play-in. If you are a seven or an eight seed, you have to win one game. If you're a 9-10 and 10 seed, you have to win two games. And the Grizzlies, they have the tiebreaker over San Antonio, but it's 1-1 with Golden State, and the Grizzlies have one more game, and it's going to be in San Francisco against the Golden State Warriors. Um, these are big games against the Portland Trailblazers. And Portland, even though they have struggled against the top teams in the Western Conference, they are playing with a little bit more hunger right now. I watched their game against the Clippers. They are playing with a little bit more fire and a little bit more passion, even though they dropped both of those games and both of them by one point to the Clippers and to the Denver Nuggets. Grizzlies have to come right uh, because this is a really crucial part of the schedule. I don't think the Grizzlies fall out of the top 10. New Orleans can't guard anybody. I don't see Sacramento making a move either. The question is, the Grizzlies will be in the play-in hunt for sure. Could they be in the hunt to get out of the play-in and be in the top six? This weekend will go a long way toward determining that, but they've got to get it right against the Portland Trailblazers team that ended up knocking them out of the playoffs last year after the Grizzlies slipped from eight to nine in the bubble. And so those are PD's points for today. This is the Grizz Weekly Grind. This is episode 31. It's being brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City, they develop young men to be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players as well. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them at Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. We thank them for their support. And we uh, 
are thankful for your support as well. Uh, wherever you are getting your podcasts, whether it is Apple, uh, whether it is Spotify or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and uh, be sure to subscribe. Tell your friends and uh, spread, the, spread the good news of the Grizz Weekly Grind. We would appreciate it. That brings us to today's friend of the program and appropriate as the Grizzlies get ready for that crucial two-game set against the Portland Trailblazers. We are visiting with Jason Quick. Jason Quick has been covering the Trailblazers for more than 20 years, first with the Portland Oregonian, the daily newspaper in the Rose City, also worked for NBC Sports Northwest and currently is a staff writer for The Athletic. So uh, just in the interest of full disclosure, for those of you who don't know my history, I was with the Portland Trailblazers organization starting in the 98-99 lockout year. I spent that first 50-game season as the radio host and sideline reporter. And then the next four years after that, I was a television voice of the Portland Trailblazers alongside the late, great Steve Snapper-Jones. So Jason and I, we've known each other for quite some time, and I figured he was the ideal person to talk about the Portland Trailblazers and the current state of affairs in the Rose City. He's today's friend of the program, Jason Quick. Jason, first question for you. This is a Portland team that did make some deals at the deadline. They have added some pieces. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, they also get Norman Powell. How have those moves uh, synced up, and how have those moves improved Portland so far? Well, Norman has been the the big pickup, uh, and he's gone right into the starting lineup. They're using a three-guard lineup now. But I I do think they're better with Norman because – He's a better player than Gary Trent Jr., but it hasn't necessarily translated to uh, the standings. They're six and six since he has joined the Blazers, and it he kind of uh, his arrival coincided with Nurkic returning to the starting lineup, and you know there was this great feeling of anticipation that that was going to put Portland over the top, but it hasn't materialized. They're still having some of the same defensive problems. Uh, and they just cannot beat good teams. They struggle against good teams. So, uh, you know, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, he's on his uh, second 10-day contract, and the real surprise was Sunday in Charlotte. Uh, Stotts not only started him over Derek Jones Jr., but he didn't even play Derek Jones Jr., and Derek Jones Jr. was the Blazers' number one free agent signing. They were really excited uh, and thought he would improve their defense, but all of a sudden right now, it looks like he's on the outside looking in. Do you have a sense of what's going wrong with Portland's defense? Is it scheme? Is it talent? Is it effort level? What, what, what's going wrong? Because it seems that that has been a consistent story for this Blazers team. Yeah, for like the last couple of years. Um, I, I don't know that it's one thing, Pete. Uh, you know, the, the one consistent thing this year is the transition defense has been absolutely brutal. I mean, I have never seen teams uh, just get down the court and score uh, as easily as teams are doing it this year against Portland. Um, and it's been hard to kind of pinpoint or, or paint this defense with a broad brush just because of the injuries. You know, Nurkic was out for 10 weeks. CJ was out for eight weeks. Uh, and then they've had d- – different guys um, in and out of the lineups with injuries. So it hasn't, there hasn't been a huge sample size uh, 
throughout the season where you can say this group doesn't work, this group doesn't work. Um, except one of the things that has been very consistent is the pairing of Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor is a disaster defensively. And they've backed themselves in this corner now, um, particularly now that Nurkic is back in the lineup and Ennis is back with the second unit. They don't have really many other options because they need Cantor to play. They've committed to Carmelo playing and there's no way for Stotts to avoid putting Melo and, and Cantor on the floor at the same time. And I tell you what, uh, teams go right at Carmelo. They go right at Ennis and pick and rolls. And that has uh, really turned some games. You know, the, the Blazers will be in a game. They get that pairing in, and then all of a sudden they're minus 12 in, in two minutes. And so a game just flips uh, often when, when you have those two guys on the court at the same time. Today's friend of the program is Jason Quick. He's a staff writer for The Athletic. He's been covering the Portland Trailblazers with the Oregonian and now with The Athletic for over 20 years. You can follow him on Twitter at JWQuick. So Terry Stotts has been been set up with this roster, and it appears to be, in some senses, a, a flawed roster. Now, your latest article for The Athletic speculates on the future of Terry Stotts. I've always thought that he is one of the more underrated coaches in the NBA because he has gotten results on a consistent basis, maybe doesn't get the national recognition he should because Portland in the Pacific time zone, uh, sometimes there's, there's some East Coast bias there. What is the future for Terry Stotts? He's, he's been good, but is he a championship-level coach? Uh, I would probably say no. Uh, and I, I really think this is probably the end of the line for him in Portland. Uh, it's been nine years. It's been a great run. He's the second winningest coach in Portland history, but uh, you know, nine years is a long, long time for an NBA coach to last in one, one city. Uh, and I, I just don't think he has shown the ability to elevate this team to uh, a higher level. And it's one thing to coach – a player like Damian Lillard when he's emerging as a star. But now Dame, the last two years, has kind of elevated himself to one of the top five, top ten players in the NBA. And as a result, teams really focus and game plan against him on a nightly basis. And so I guess what I'm saying as a coach, you have to find ways to uh, make adjustments and help your star player overcome those things. And I don't think Terry has shown a real uh, strength in being able to do that and being, being able to accommodate and uh, push forward Dame's career as he has reached this level. And I think, you know, Dame will never say it, but I think there's some frustration there. Uh, particularly this season where teams are now starting to pick him up literally at half court. Double teams are, are approaching him at half court. And I think Dame has been looking for a counterpunch and an option, an outlet. And the Blazers keep doing the same thing. Um, to Terry's credit, last week they did make some adjustments uh, against Boston. They had Dame and CJ set screens, uh, be much more active off the ball. 
It ended up uh, in a season-high 31 assists. I haven't seen Dame set screens probably in two years. And he did it multiple, multiple times against uh, Boston. It helped free them up. They didn't. He didn't have the ball in his hands the whole time. So, you know, so the defense couldn't just attach to him like a magnet. Uh, so that was one thing, but he played that one game and then he hasn't played since because he's had a hamstring injury and it's going to keep him out again tonight. Uh, it'll be the third straight game he's missed with the uh, our fourth straight game, third or fourth. Third, I believe. <laughs> it's, it's, it's multiple, third, yeah. multiple games, yeah. Um, what, yeah. What, what's the prognosis? Because, I mean, the Grizzlies obviously have a back-to-back with Portland coming up. Is is Lillard, is his return imminent, or is maybe he's still a ways off because hamstrings could t- tend to linger? My sense is, is that he'll be back by the Memphis games. Portland uh, tonight is the first game of a back-to-back, and I think if I'm reading the tea leaves right, that they're holding out both Nurk and um, Dame tonight against the Clippers. Tomorrow against Denver, I think they play both Nurk and Dame. That's just my sense. Blazers against the Clippers is an awful matchup. Clippers just absolutely roll them this year. Uh, and so I think the Blazers looked at that and said, okay, let's get some load management in our two guys here. The more winnable game is the Denver game. And so I think Dame will be back for Denver. And then, you know, unless he aggravates it again, I think he'll be uh, ready to play against them for the Memphis games. Those are huge games, by the way. Yes, they are. Uh, You know, with Memphis. Well, because I'm sure Portland wants to avoid a play-in scenario at at all costs. And right now they're hanging on to sixth. Yeah. You know, Dame has been very vocal both Dame and CJ McCollum have been very vocal about avoiding the play-in game this year because they felt last year in the bubble and then the playoff play-in game against uh, Memphis, they felt that took everything out of them for the playoff series against the Lakers. They, they felt like they didn't have anything left in them. And then also Dame said he will not take games off in a load management sense until the Blazers clinch that six seed that eliminates them from the potential of having to play. And so they're, they are very motivated to stay out of that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 uh, scenario. So uh, because they want to down the stretch, uh, the final games of the season, they want to rest. And so they have uh, are feeling fresh for the playoffs, but right now, they haven't taken care of business uh, to be able to do that. They, they put themselves in position where it looks like they're going to have to play every game down the stretch. Damian Lillard will almost certainly have his number retired at Moda Center, or as I still call it, the Rose Garden. It should always be the Rose Garden as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Another, and, right, and, and, and Damian came out and he made the point. Now we know LaMarcus Aldridge has retired from the NBA due to his heart ailment. And, and Lillard was very vocal about, no, number 12 should be in the rafters as well. I don't know LaMarcus Aldridge personally. I saw him as a player. I saw him wreck the Grizzlies on numerous occasions <laughs> with, a, with a lot of really, really good first quarters. Always seemed to me, just looking at the body language and reading the stories about him, kind of a quiet, brooding, introspective player that was really, really hard to know. His legacy in Portland is a little bit complicated because didn't finish his career there, but yet statistically is one of the greatest to ever wear the pinwheel logo. So yeah, you, you hit it. Did you retire right his on, number? Uh, do you retire his number? I mean, do you agree with Lillard that you retire his no. number? No. And 
and in part because Portland's retired so many numbers. <laughs> they have, you know? yes. Uh, uh, you know, probably unnecessarily. Uh, they should have just retired the whole 77 team instead of, you know, I think five or six guys from that team are, are retired. Uh, but I, I think you you really used the right word in that he had a complicated legacy here in Portland. Um, he was a great, great player, still the all-time leading rebounder. I think he's um, third in scoring. Uh, but so much of his time here, he was kind of trying to get over hurt feelings. He felt like he was underappreciated when he first came, even though he was the number two pick overall, he was decidedly in the shadow of Brandon Roy. And then when Greg Oden came the next year, uh, everyone talked about Roy, the rookie of the year. And everyone talked about Oden. Everyone forgot about LaMarcus and that stung him a little bit. And it wasn't until Roy had to return, had to leave Portland because of his knees that LaMarcus kind of got the, the attention and the, uh, the role that he so coveted and he flourished in that role as the, the franchise pillar. But then another young guy comes up, Damian Lillard, and all of a sudden he's rookie of the year and he's a media darling. Cause he's, uh, you know, got this wonderful, bright personality and all of a sudden, again, he's, he's got these feelings of, you know, not disrespect, but feels like he's uh, not in the limelight or not getting the intention that, that he wanted. And so, so much of his time was kind of spent brooding and uh, dealing with this insecurity that he had. Uh, and I, then he, that led to him. Uh, leaving Portland and going to San Antonio, which was less than a year after he said that uh, he wanted to stay in Portland, that he wanted to be considered the greatest blazer of all time. That got a lot of people, you know, Pete in Portland, you say things like that and people glom on, glom onto it. And they really take that to heart. This is such a, has such a small city feel to it. And so they all, Portland fans are always feeling like they're disrespected. And so if a star says they want to stay in this city, uh, people love that and they hold on to it. And they were holding on to that and believed that LaMarcus was going to stay. And then he jolted for San Antonio and uh, that really stung people. So, and I still think there's a large segment of people uh, of Blazer fans who uh, are still angry about that. And we'll never look at LaMarcus the same. But personally, um, I had an incredible roller coaster relationship with LaMarcus. Uh, there were times where we were really at odd, odds. And uh, there were times where we were really close. And I think after he left Portland and went to San Antonio, we had a couple great conversations uh, just about life and perspective and maturing and uh, realizing how, how much um, of a waste it is to have bad energy about things you can't control and that things that people say. Uh, I really saw a lot of growth in him. And I, I think he regretted a lot of his 
uh, behavior in Portland or his mindset uh, that he had. And I think that was reflected in, in him and Lillard kind of, uh, they had a phone call that was facilitated by Jamal Crawford uh, because Jamal saw, saw that these two guys were at odds and they really had no reason to be at odds because they were both thinking it was a lack of communication. They were both thinking the other was thinking something that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. But once they got on the phone and they talked it all out, uh, you know, Lillard and, and Aldridge are now friends and they had a desire to play with each other again. But, uh, Anyways, I guess my greater point is I saw a maturity in LaMarcus uh, toward the end of his career, and I think he had a really good perspective. And uh, it, it, I hate that he wasn't able to go out on his own terms, but I think he was, I think he was very uh, – had a great feeling of gratification about the, his body of work uh, in the NBA. Jason, you talked about having a roller coaster relationship with Lamarcus Aldridge. I think that the city of Portland has had something of a roller coaster relationship with the franchise itself. We both go back to the early two thousands and and that Western Conference Finals team. And to be kind, it was a group of characters. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, and you know, not everybody understands what it is like to be with that franchise in that market. That I'm I'm sorry to the Thorns and to the Timber. I'm going to set MLS and 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 the women's soccer league aside for a second. But of the four major sports, Portland only has the Blazers. Memphis only has the Grizzlies. And I think Memphis feels disrespected by Nashville. I would I would venture to say Portland feels disrespected sometimes by Seattle. So there's there's some no parallels question. there. You've been covering this team. You have you have the long long lens to look at this city and this franchise. Where is the love affair between the city and the team? Because it's it, it has been at times a rocky road, i.e. in the early 2000s with some of the behavioral issues that that were with the team. But then things have have changed, I would assume. What's the status right now between Portland and, and the Blazers? I, I think it's very strong. I think there's uh, a lot of attachment to the organization right now. And the reason is because of the franchise player, Damian Lillard. He has an amazing ability to connect with the community. He's very involved. Um, he's very open. And he, as I spoke about earlier, he has been very um, adamant that I want to win and I want to win in Portland. It's important for me to do it in Portland. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to pair with stars. I want to do it my way in Portland. And that speaks to people here. Um, so I think he's, he is right now the greatest blazer of all time. And I, I know that's, blasphemy to a lot of people because Bill Walton won a title and Clyde Drexler still holds the scoring and uh, a bunch of records and went to NBA finals. But I think what Dame has done and what he has meant to this franchise, uh, how he has strengthened that bond between the fan base and the franchise, I think he's the greatest blazer. And I think people are realizing that, uh, as his years go on that and the stuff that he does, I think they're realizing that 
we are witnessing greatness. We are witnessing one of the best players who's ever played, if not the best in Portland. And I think there's a real, uh, real time realization that, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. And so uh, that's why I think the bond is so tight yet. I think right now we're seeing, we're starting to see some impatience and, uh, people are worried that are they wasting Dame's prime? Dame is 30 years old. He's going to turn 31 in July. And this year for the first time, we're starting to see him break down a little bit. He's been really bogged down by injuries. He's played through a lot of them, but now we're starting to see he's missing games. He just doesn't look the same uh, even when he does play. And so that's bringing this realization that, man, he's getting older. And what have what have they accomplished? They've got one Western Conference Finals appearance uh, since Dame's been here in his nine years. So I, I think there's um, a feeling of we need to do something, and we need to do something now. And so uh, that's why I think Terry Stotts is is getting a little bit more heat right now. A lot of people uh, are poking Neil Olshay to be when are you going to make a big move? You know, okay, these moves around the margins are nice. You're, you're getting Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. and Norman Powell, but when are we going to see a big guy? There's a lot of that going on in Portland right now. Um, and, you know, this, this is a franchise that's won or been to the playoffs seven straight years. They should probably make it again this year, so that'll be eight straight years. Um, but again, only one Western Conference Finals appearance, and uh, I think after a while, people are like, we want more. And the other thing, too, is it, it also resurrects the ghosts of injuries past. I mean, Brandon Roy's yes. knees, Greg Odin's knees, uh, to say something. Sam say, Bowie. Say, yeah, say nothing, nothing of Sam Bowie. And there have been so many <laughs> so many injury issues uh, surrounding that franchise that I can I can certainly understand why uh, natives of Portland are a little little concerned. because and, it, and it's not all that different from when the Grizzlies had the core four. And you got to the Western Conference Finals and you were trying to add pieces around the margins and eventually that core four basically timed out. And then then you have to, to get with a rebuild. And I can certainly understand yep. Portlanders' thirst for a second NBA championship. Jason, it has been great to catch up with you. Great to visit. And hopefully next year we're all back to normal and uh, we'll be able to meet face-to-face and chat a little bit more about the good old days. Uh, wouldn't that be great? Yes, Jason and I could talk about the good old days, uh, Rashid Wallace, Damon Stoudemire, and, and, and that whole crew that uh, came up short in the 2000 Western Conference Finals and a lot of stories around those basketball teams. They were they were colorful, and I'm being kind when I say that. But our thanks to Jason Quick for stopping by to preview this weekend's matchups with the Portland Trail Blazers. And that puts a cap on this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, brought to you today by the Garner Framing Company that asks... If there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, if that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement. Be a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years. They're a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation, and they do their framing consultations by appointment at 901-685-7796. So that's a wrap for Episode 31 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Our thanks to Jason. 
Our thanks to Garner Framing, also Hoop City Basketball Club, and DraftKings Sportsbook for their support of the show. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.